Well, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus that we took a look at last week was at the beginning of John chapter 3. Today, we're beginning at John chapter 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself wasn't baptizing them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Suhar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came down to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jesus, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, this woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Jezreel where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews, Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. This story is commonly referred to as the story of the woman at the well. And it is the second of three stories illustrating how Jesus sees the depths of human hearts and what he finds might surprise us, since we can only see what's on the outside. 
for many of us uh, who have been around the church for some time, this is a familiar story. We, we, we've heard this uh, multiple times. Uh, uh, I, I know I've, I've preached about it uh, multiple times. It's a fairly well-known story, but it's, it's not meant to be a story unto itself in isolation. It is, it is meant to uh, contrast. In fact, it's, it's a very clearly uh, an intentional act on John's part, the author of this book of the Bible, to contrast this woman at the well and her story with the story that we took a look at last week, the story of Nicodemus in chapter 3. In fact, the contrasts are so important, I want to spend some time highlighting the contrast between the two, and I encourage you to uh, jot down some notes in, in your message notes uh, that you received in your bulletin today. You might want to reflect on these later. You might want to look for even more contrasts than what I uh, share here today, and maybe even talk about them in your journey group. Uh, but on the outside, Nicodemus and this woman at the well uh, appear to be complete and total opposites. Uh, Nicodemus is a man, definitely a higher place in society in that particular culture and time. Uh, this woman is obviously a, a woman, um, and she even notes that to Jesus as if he didn't already notice. <laughs> he said, I'm a woman, <laughs> and, and you're talking to me. Uh, Nicodemus is a Jew. Uh, one of God's chosen people. Uh, he, he, he met uh, with Jesus in Jerusalem, the hub, the center of all of Judaism. Uh, this, this woman is a Samaritan. Her ancestors were um, a, a mixed group of folks. Some of them had Jewish heritage, but they intermarried uh, with people, uh, Canaanite people of the land. And so they had this kind of half religion uh, that was similar to Judaism, but not quite. And so they were looked down upon by Jews. They were looked down upon them as half-breeds, as unclean, unrighteous people who Jews were to have nothing to do with. And this woman notes this in her interaction with Jesus too. She, she says, I, I am a Samaritan, and yet you speak to me. You're a Jew. Furthermore, uh, they met in Samaria, a region just north of uh, Jerusalem, uh, which Jews avoided at all costs, even though it was the uh, most direct route between Jerusalem and Galilee, where Jesus was heading. Nicodemus, um, he was an educated leader. Uh, this woman, not educated at all. We know that because, well, she was a woman. And in that time and place, uh, she would not have been educated uh, beyond a second or third grade level. Um, also, uh, she... Uh, at least at this point, was anything but a leader. Uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He uh, was seen as an outwardly righteous person. This woman, we find out, is not even remotely righteous in any of her actions and behaviors. Uh, Nicodemus was highly respected. He had a very, very high status as a leader in his uh, Jewish circles. Uh, this woman was an outcast. She, she was a sinner, uh, showing up at the well during a time when nobody else would dare to be there. Uh, Nicodemus, in, in that story, we see that Nicodemus, he, he sought out Jesus. He, he was, he's the one who came knocking on Jesus' door. In this story, Jesus is approaching the woman. He, he is coming to her. Uh, Nicodemus, he encountered Jesus um, in the middle of the night. It was completely dark when Nicodemus um, uh, met with Jesus. Uh, this woman, 
uh, and Jesus, they had their interaction in the, the high noon. The, high, the, the sun was at its highest point during the day. That's symbolism that we don't want to miss. I'll share a little bit more of that later. And, and maybe the most striking outward contrast is that we're told Nicodemus's name. Did you notice what it was? Trick question. Nicodemus. Nicodemus is his name. Uh, uh, this woman, for all we know, she has no name at all. She is forever known as the woman at the well. Everything on the outside leads us to believe that Nicodemus is the one who is seeking God. He's the all-star. He is the guy that, that you want on your team. This woman? Uh-uh. Well, why is Jesus even wasting his time with her? Look at the way that she lives. She, she couldn't possibly be open to the advances of God. In fact, we're supposed to know very clearly that she is hiding. She isn't seeking. She is running away from the ostracism that she would receive from the other women, women who would come to the well when it wasn't so miserably hot. She hides from them by coming in the middle of the day. Interestingly enough, this is, this is the one and only similarity between her and Nicodemus. Uh, he was hiding too. He was hiding too, but he came in the dead of night so that no one would see this interaction that he was having with Jesus. But that's where the similarities between the two end. That's it. What we see in their responses to Jesus, the, the final and maybe the most surprising contrast, that Nicodemus is reluctant. He, he hears the, the truth that, that Jesus shares with him and presents to him, and he's reluctant. He's hesitant to respond to it. But this woman... This woman, despite her shame, seems to be the very definition of one with a seeking heart. But we discover that her heart, she just longs for what Jesus has to offer her. And she receives his truth and his grace with arms that are wide open. In fact, we read later in her story that she returns to the village where she's an outcast. And, and she shares with everybody there about the faith that she has found and invites them to experience it also. Nicodemus, on the other hand, he seems to fade into the woodwork, at, at least for the time being, until more of his story is revealed later in, in the book of John. Uh, but there, there, there's so much going on here in this story. You uh, may have heard this uh, story before, but I, I want to focus in on, on one part of the exchange between Jesus and this woman. Um, she, she really begins... Uh, her conversation with him, holding him at arm's length uh, with, with her, hey, I'm a woman, I'm a Jew, why, why are you talking to me? Uh, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> and, and, and for obvious reasons why Jesus shouldn't speak to her, but, it, but Jesus, he turns it around and he eventually offers her this living water, something amazing, such that she would never be thirsty again because, uh, as he said, this water bubbles up into eternal life. And she exclaims that she wants it. She, she wants it. And then Jesus, uh, similar to what we saw last week, kind of puts on his jerk hat. Um, and and this, is, this is how he responds. He says, uh, she says, give me this living water. And she's open. She like responds to his message. He says, ha, ha, go get your husband. Jesus got her. 
He narrowed right in on the depth of her shame and her brokenness. We saw this last week, too, with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was patting Jesus on the back, saying, you're obviously from God, which is something that other Pharisees weren't doing. Uh, he, was, he was saying, it is clear that you come from God. Look at the signs and the wonders that you're doing. Uh, tell me more. And, and Jesus, Jesus basically says, you think, you think you're righteous? You can't even see the kingdom of God uh, <laughs> and, and until you're born again. In both instances, Jesus... He, he just gets right to the, he goes right for the guttural, uh, rather harshly, it seems like. I mean, that's not the Jesus we know, is it? I mean, what is this all about? Well, remember the opening passage. It lays the foundation for each of these stories that we're looking at these next few weeks. It's, these stories are meant to show how Jesus sees into the depths of the human heart. There's no hiding from him. There's no hiding behind religious activity. There's no hiding behind a smile. There's no hiding from your shame. And I find two things remarkable about this exchange between Jesus and the woman. And the first is that, that Jesus does offer her the gift of living water. Uh, when we read this, I think we're supposed to find it remarkable uh, that, that Jesus would offer her eternal life despite her shame. In other words, Jesus offers her grace. Uh, he receives her as a person who is loved by God despite the fact that, that she has made a, an utter mess of her life, e even in terms that, that we would say today is kind of a mess of her life. Uh, I think it's even more so uh, 2,000 years ago in ancient Near East culture. Uh, everything on the outside suggests that she is disqualified from grace. And yet, Jesus very clearly and directly offers it to her. Uh, sh she may be hiding in her shame, but when confronted with grace, uh, she, she wants it. Please, sir, give me this water, she exclaims. I, I loved uh, praying over the slips of paper that many of you left for me last week. If you weren't here, these slips of paper, uh, I've been kind of calling them the, the coming out of hiding slips of paper. Uh, many of you, I invited you to, to, to kind of write down your, your uh, you know, what, what God was revealing to you that you had been hiding behind. Uh, and, and I prayed over these, and I prayed over you and uh, our church uh, to Come out of hiding from behind worry and anxiety. That was in here a few times. Uh, to come out of hiding from behind uh, insecurity. Particularly, somebody noted insecurity about not knowing God and not knowing the Bible very well. Uh, some, uh, one person mentioned uh, that they were keeping God at arm's length by remaining constantly busy. Sound familiar? I prayed for us to come out of hiding behind uh, what one person said, uh, their God-given talents and abilities. One person even confessed to hiding behind being a mom. But there were others who acknowledged um, uh, various poor choices um, and not, not feeling worthy of God's love because of uh, the, the guilt and, and the shame that they carry. I mean, maybe you can relate. Um, maybe now or, or at some point in your past, uh, maybe you can relate to feeling disqualified because of your choices. 
Maybe you felt unworthy and on the outside. You think, how could God ever forgive me or want anything to do with me because of X, Y, and Z in my life? And something I've found true about everyone. I think everybody in the midst, and we all carry different levels of shame. Everybody does. Uh, it has a different name. Uh, it looks a little bit different in everybody's life, but, but we all carry some levels of shame. And something I found true about everybody is that even in the midst of our shame, we all long, desperately long to be received. Despite our mess, despite our shame, despite our present brokenness, and despite the, the way our lives have turned out, despite all the stuff that we try so hard to hide, we long for grace. We long to be received, both from other people and uh, ultimately from God. And yet experience has told us not to expect grace from others, but rather to expect judgment, to expect condemnation. So we, we stay in hiding. We bury that stuff. We, we don't let other people see it. We put on the, the, the better looking exterior and we try to protect ourselves from deeper rejection. I found uh, some people even, they'll kind of, if they don't feel like they can put on a good enough exterior, they'll just go all in with their, their shame or guilt and actually use that as a way to keep other people at arm's length. Think of any number of destructive behaviors. Uh, uh, that, that is a way to protect yourself from, from even deeper rejection, just, just letting people write you off before, uh, before they even get too close. Now, I hope you hear this story and are blown away just by the grace of God. You're supposed to read this and think, how in the world would God have grace for this woman? And you should never cease to be amazed at how Jesus offers you and me and everybody else grace, no matter what. He is living water. Uh, just ready to be poured out into your life. You, you don't have to live in hiding. You don't have to live in, in shame. You, you don't have to live those ways. Come to the waters, dip your heart in the, the stream of life. It's real. You know, with Jesus, it's, it's not a bait and switch. Like, hey, come out of hiding. Wham! Smack you like a bug, like you deserve. You know, that's not the way it works with Jesus. Uh, other people might try that with you sometime, uh, but, but that's not the way it works with Jesus. There is no use hiding. He, he's saying, I know everything about you already, and I still want you. That's what Jesus is saying. Simply amazing, the magnitude of God's grace. But that's not the only thing that I find remarkable and amazing about this story. I also find it remarkably compelling that Jesus doesn't just offer grace. He confronts this woman with very hard-to-swallow truth, too, doesn't he? He sees deep into her heart. He knows the very source of her shame, and Jesus doesn't ignore it. Instead, he confronts it head on. If you are living in shame, maybe something that you did, something that someone did to you, maybe some behavior that, that is a part of your life situation that you find yourself presently in, um, uh, and yet you know deep down in your heart the, the, the conviction of God's spirit that, that what you did or what was done to you or what, what you're currently living, that, that it's wrong that it is 
and should be a source of shame in some way, shape, or form. If you're living in shame, I, I just believe this about you. I believe that you, you long to be received in the midst of that, that you, 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 that's what you want. You, you might not acknowledge that because you're tough, uh, but, but, but that's, I believe that about you, that that's what you want. But the only way to be received fully with the kind of living water that, that Jesus is talking about, the living water that brings eternal life, the only way to be fully received like that is to have the light of Christ shine truth into the dark places of your life. And, and really, that's where the symbolism is. Here, here comes a woman in the middle of the day. The sun is at its pinnacle. And the light of Christ she comes out of hiding when the light of Christ is shining truth into the dark places of shame in her life. You know, there comes a point in, in, in everybody's life, uh, hopefully, where you figure out that it's time to get real. That it's, it's, it's not, there's no use with the, the image anymore, but it's time to come out of hiding. And the grace of Jesus Christ is available to you. It is available because Jesus took your sin and your shame upon himself on the cross. Like last week, we talked about Jesus was raised on the pole. Uh, he, he talked in the story of Nicodemus about uh, he was raised on the pole like the snake, uh, that Moses. And we looked at that obscure story from the, the book of Numbers. And, and Jesus was raised on the pole like the snake. He became sin. He became your sin. He became your shame and paid the ransom for your life. And yet some of us, we don't live in the forgiveness and the freedom that his grace should, should make possible for us. We don't live in that. Jesus' grace seems to remain elusive. And could, could, it be, could it be possible that you're coming to Jesus at night, desiring the grace without the painful process of his light shining in the dark pits of your life. I think that's natural <laughs> uh, to, want, to want the good stuff, to want the reception, to want the, the embrace without having to go through the grueling pain of acknowledging your shame and the source of it. I, I think that is only natural without uh, having to look in the mirror and see the hard truth. And, and, and that's given a name. Do you know what people have dubbed that? They've dubbed that cheap grace. It's grace that doesn't penetrate deeply because it's never confronted the dark stuff that is the reason why grace is really needed in the first place. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like putting a Band-Aid on, on a bullet wound. Okay, it just doesn't work um, like, unless you're Chuck Norris, right? Um, you, you, need, you need to dig out the wound, open it up. You need to pull out the, the bullet. Uh, I'm thinking of, like, Sylvester Stallone in one of those movies, you know, like, just, like, taking the knife and gouging it out. And, and then you got to stitch it back up, clean the wound, stitch it back up, pop in some antibiotics, something that, that will keep you from getting infected and, and, and change the bandage. That is hard work. That is painful. That hurts. Um, and if, if you don't do it, the wound festers, becomes infected. 
It spreads, it penetrates into all parts of your body through your bloodstream, and you die painfully. And that's what receiving grace without Jesus shining the light of truth into our dark places is like. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Don't take the cheap grace route. It isn't living water. So no more hiding. Uh, Today could be a really important day for you just to do some business with Jesus. Jesus' living water can, can wash away the shame, but that living water is not just grace. It's grace with truth, and it confronts the dark stuff. Will you let Jesus' light shine into your darkness? But make no mistake about it, friends. This is, this is really about you and Jesus. I surrendered my life to Jesus, like fully surrendered my heart to him on July 18th of 1990. But I need the light of Jesus to shine truth into my, the dark places in my heart every single day. All the time. And when I hide, either behind my self-righteousness, like, like Nicodemus did, uh, or behind my shame, like this woman at the well was doing, then, then I miss out on Jesus' grace and therefore, the freedom and forgiveness that comes from drinking that living water. It is only when I lay it all down at Jesus' feet and confront the truth that I experience the depth of life that comes from that living water. Now, it's my sense that each of us needs uh, some sacred space. Um, and that's, that's hard to create sometimes in the midst of a lot of people, uh, but we're going to try. Uh, Clint, you can come on up. Uh, Clint's going to just uh, play some, some background instrumental music. And, um, and, and I'm just going to lead us through a, a guided time of prayer. I, I don't know about you, sometimes when I pray, my, I, my mind goes all over the place. Uh, not all the time, but sometimes. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm going to try to kind of guide you uh, through a prayer where, where you can just Uh, kind of envisions some things. But the whole point of this is to create a safe space where you can be with Jesus and let his light shine into dark places in your heart. Uh, Not so you can wallow in guilt, uh, but so that you can walk out of here having breathed the power and the miracle of his grace that comes despite your shame. For he made our shame his own on the cross. Let's Let's join together in prayer. Now, I'm I'm not going to pray words for you, but I am going to prompt you to to think of some things, to reflect on on some some things. And in your mind's eye, I I just want to invite you to, to think about, to identify the places and sources of shame in your heart. As I was doing this in the eight o'clock service, there were just a handful of things that kind of came to my mind as things that, that I'm not proud of, that are a part of my story. 
What, what are those sources and places of shame in your heart? Collect them. Just kind of grab them out of the, 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 the timeline of your life. Just pl- pluck them out. Maybe it's something that you're just living very, it's very much a part of your present. Whatever it is, kind of, kind of, kind of pull those out of your story and, and collect them up in your hands, in, in, in your mind's eye. And when you got them there, kind of ball them up and, and into your hand. Envision yourself holding that shame out. Just holding it out and up. Uncovered. Fully exposed. Envision yourself holding it out to Jesus. Not at the cover of dark, but in the light of this hot Memorial Day weekend sun. You're holding it out to Jesus, fully exposed in the brightness of his light. See, just see his light shining on the mess that you've got in your hands. You might be scared to be so exposed. I want you to envision Jesus kind of taking it, letting your hands kind of come back down. then I hope you feel the fear wash away as you feel Jesus' arms wrap around you. Just sit there for a moment. Just know what it feels like to be received and loved even though Sit in that for a moment in silence and just know that that's the kind of grace that can forever transform you.